How many podcasts have you done? None. This is it? Yeah. Number one? Cool. I'll add that to the list of accomplishments. <laughs> Weekend beta. Got Tyler Ray's first first ever podcast. And I guess I'll introduce you. This is Tyler Ray. We're at, at your office here in Conway at uh, Backyard Concept, Front Yard Law. Tyler is, um, well, beyond a backcountry skier, a rad dad, a lawyer, founder of Granite Backcountry Alliance. Ton of, um, you wear a ton of hats and do a ton for the backcountry community. And that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation with you for this week. So welcome, Tyler. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate uh, you having me on this illustrious role here. Episode two. Yeah, episode two, cranking along. Going to do one of these each week. Hold me to it. But I, you know, I'll start off with every guest is what was your, give me your ski background and then roll into your introduction to backcountry skiing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I grew up, I'm a native of Bridgeton, Maine, um, really just over the border from where I live now in North Conway and really got going at around two years old at Pleasant Mountain, which is now known as uh, Shawnee Peak. Chamonix. Chamonix. That's right. Scrawny. A lot of different names we got for it. Um, good times there. Great little hill, you know, 13, 1400 vert, enough, uh, aspects and wood skiing to uh, create a lot of fun. So I just grew up, you know, skiing with like the Rat Pack and buzzing around the hill. My mom would just kind of let me go. And that's what we did for years. And, um, you know, following the big kids into the woods was kind of like my introduction into, uh, you know, ripping around the trees and all that. And you really had to learn how to keep up, absorb the jumps and, um, you know, stay focused um, or else they'll, you know, these guys would like steal your lunch money. Um, and you know, really that just, the outgrowth of that was um, just a love for skiing. And, you know, I played a lot of other sports at the time, actually, which was sort of interesting. I had this, in fact, I was talking about it with my son this morning, this um, dilemma of, you know, skiing versus other sports like basketball. And um, in high school, I played basketball. So I chose to, you know, go that route. Um, cause I, I just knew that skiing would be a lifetime sport and I would still ski on the weekends and it was, it was a great thing. And I continued that and in, do uh, at Hobart College where I went um, after high school and I skied, I raced with those guys and that was just like awesome. It was, we just partied really hard. It was, uh, it was like Saturday night, the team hosted the keg party. So that was like, I got this real introduction to the racing world um, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then, you know, I, I chased my career after college and I went down to DC for a year and it was the first year when I was like 21 or 22 and I actually didn't ski for a whole season. It's the only, the only season besides before I was two, um, that I didn't ski and, and, uh, to move back to new England the year after and got on some new shape skis. This is like Oh one or Oh two maybe. And bam, it was like the thrill of skiing, like the S turns and the, the bounce and the rhythm was like captivating. And it like, boom, it immediately put me right back into that driver's seat of loving skiing again. And that was, that was where it all took off. And, and, you know, I did a number of trips out West and got on some touring gear. And that was like my, my first tour was actually, besides going to like a Tuckerman ravine and stuff where you're hiking up, um, was out in the Wasatch. And, um, I just remember going on this big tour with this guy, just me and him, he was a guide. And um, by the end of the day, I was like looking out in the mountains and, and um, I thought I saw like a chairlift and, and like a lodge. And I was like, I think I was like hallucinating. I was, I was smoked, I was so tired. And we were up like, you know, 10, 11,000 feet. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I hope I can make it back. And I, and I did, and that was the, be the beginning of, um, a long, you know, love affair with the backcountry skiing. So, what, what year was that in Colorado? So that well, that was Utah. That was um, like oh five or oh six, probably. And what were you on for gear? Like Alpine Trekkers. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I actually still have a pair of Alpine Trekkers. I can't. I'm surprised there aren't more of those around. The actually. Day Wreckers. Well, they make them for kids. The Day. Yeah, they're actually pretty kind of useful for that reason. Yeah. Well, for kids, they're useful. For adults, like you, no business in being those now. But like that's what you had to do back then. It was either that or tele ski. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that was, you know, that was right. Yeah. Right before the really shift and hard goods and technology. And um, so yeah. So I 
put some miles on those things. And just to explain to the audience or listeners that those um, Alpine trekkers are just little modifiers where you you put in, they click into your normal binding, right? And then your boot clicks yeah, into like those. Inserts, right. So it's like you've got this another layer, double, layer, double yeah. layer between interfacing between your bindings and your boot, and that allows you to lift your heel up and tore. But from what I heard, and I'm, I'm sort of late, you know, 2010, 2011, I was already into Dinafits, but those things were called day wreckers because <laughs> they would just blow up on people and then you're just stuck out there. Stuck out of the woods, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. Well, it was a nice, it was a nice bridge uh, equipment, you know, where like, you could you could get a taste of, of it you know no. but you're still in an alpine boot yeah and probably you know getting blisters if you're pushing it and just not that comfortable killing your legs and i think a lot of people get into backcountry still that way whether they're on the marker dukes or f1s whatever f10s were those the some of the yeah, heavier F12s yeah some of the heavier those. alpine bindings alpine touring bindings that are just these gateways in into it so how quickly like how quickly after did you start like did you shift away from those well so uh, the way the way i look at it was like you know i was like you know skiing every single weekend for years and that was just what i did after i came back to new england and I, my friends thought i was nuts because i lived outside boston and um in the in the rhode island area newport Bristol, Providence, and I'd literally come up every weekend. In fact, the joke with my wife was that after we met, after we started dating, I was like, "Man, we better get you a we better get you a ski pass this year." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you think so?" And I'm like, "Well, I I, I pretty much ski every weekend." And she's like, "Oh," I'm like, "No, but like seriously, I ski every weekend." So that's something that she's had to deal with from the beginning. But you know, for me, um, it was really the shift of like you know, 100% alpine, just cranking turns, going out late burning it at both ends just being a wild guy and and then the shift kind of started happening um and this this is also what happens as you start to get a little older you, you just your mindset shifts a little bit too and you get more int- you, you change it your focus changes and you pivot into um you know things that fall into what you're wanting to do and for me that was starting to get into more running and endurance type activities so i started really having a liking for um you know, backcountry skiing. And so it was like the shift of like 28 to 80%. And then like pretty soon it was like 50, 50. And then it started going the other way where I was like, you know, 75, 25 backcountry. By the time I was like, I don't know, 09, 2010, I was probably pretty close to like, you know, 90, 10, 80, 20, something like that. Just, just really all I want to do is go backcountry skiing. But, um, and and at that time, I was skiing a lot at Sunday River in the Bethel area. It had some ski houses over there, and and um, so I was able to, you know, get it, get over to the Whites and, and bounce around, and you know, ski West Side in 2010, like that famous year, and um, you know, just slowly integrating. And you know, I did a lot of, frankly, you know, early on, I was like on time for Tuckerman. It was really hard to find ski partners, and you know, it was interesting because I think one of the things that we see today's day is a lack of mentors you know people try to look for all their information online they're not they're not out experiencing they don't have someone that's you know kind of guiding them or showing them the way that's sort of something that's that's gone away to some extent and so i was able to find that through like time for tuckerman which was a very valuable site at the time um kind of like um well it was just it was people would post trip reports and there was a huge uh search function there you could pretty much find anything and um, it was a smaller community, so there was less of a concern about blowing stuff up. But there was still, you know, that was still a, an issue. It's always going to be an issue, likely. But um, well, that was that's you know now we've got Facebook forms, but it's the Northeast. It's not just time for Tuckerman was really focused on. I'm sure you get trip reports from elsewhere, but the core of it was all really the presidentials. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, probably yeah. some other stuff in there, but yeah, you can get all that beta and see see where people have been and and see the photos and yeah that's like a extremely valuable resource that's unfortunately gone away to some degree but but you still you know it's interesting though because i still so it's it's funny now like sitting back and watching things like uh backcountry page on facebook and seeing a lot of the same questions a lot of the same inquiries and and just seeing how people now evolve what the channels are to get them into backcountry skiing and it's it's you know, it's very, it's, it's an, it's a kind of a timeless thing. You just have that, you have that 
that that switch sort of occurs mentally where you you, you want to look past the lifts and it is difficult to, to to get in and break through you know you have issues of you know you don't have necessarily have a mentor you don't have the equipment um you don't have the knowledge or the education to get into the high stuff but you're seeing it and so it's very enticing and motivating and so for me you know what was really important was um I was a big, I've always been a big reader and, you know, getting into David Goodman's book for me was huge. I just really, um, would dive into those little storylines of each, of each, uh, tour. And it would be, yeah, I just read those things over and over. And then you get out into the train, you're like, Oh, I remember this, you know, this was in the book. And that was really, for me, that was really helpful. Uh, the Goodman book. And it's, it's, you know, it's funny because over time, how things evolve, what I, what I observed was that, Buddy, being buddies with like Ben Leone and his working for the weekend is that the working for the weekend episode almost took over for the Goodman book in some sense because people would that's that would be their introduction to the backcountry was through video and I always found that to be interesting it was sort of a realization I had a couple of years ago like wow there's a whole slew of folks that really got were raised on you know working for the weekend and that was really pivotal for a lot of people to get them into the backcountry sort of a different motivation but similar um just a, through a different medium so i always thought that was interesting but you know there's always that there's a, there's always going to be that um difficulty for folks to find that you know that comfort zone to get into the back country but at the end of the day it's really you know uh, the information's out there it's just kind of going out and doing it and doing it in a smart way that's i mean that's a great segue into granite backcountry and that that um, evergreen question of how do I get into backcountry? And it's like, that's like a big question. It's a very popular question. And there's a lot, a lot of listeners that probably are looking to make that step where they've maybe got the gear or they've been out at the resort and they're comfortable there. But like, there's always that what's the next level and what are those proper steps? So like, what are the steps that you took when you started skiing here in in the white mountains but also like did you skip some steps do you make some mistakes and from like where you are now because there is that excitement of you see something i want to go ski it i read about it i want to go ski it but maybe you weren't ready for it or prepared but i don't know like to get i, I think of my experience where I, I was looking on maps or i was reading goodman's book or watching videos and trying to figure out oh where is that does that ski what's that like and you know i got in over my head i think one of my first trips into the northern presidentials where i was on schema race skis and i was like i didn't know what i was doing i was like oh these are light i'm just going to take them up there and go ski around and i ended up getting a my ski broke through this was in late april early may an airplane gully or into spacewalk moonwalk going down into it and it buried my ski buried and I just started was that the crash. Yeah. Well, no, that was, that's a different crash. <laughs> this, this was, um, yeah, Hillary, I had my, my partner, Hillary taking photos and squall was up there and yeah, I don't know. I was just like, I wasn't reading the snowpack, right. It was that late, late spring, like all these holes develop and my, these super thin, tiny skis just like went under snapped my ski. I didn't realize it till after, but I dislodged a backpack sized boulder that tumbled down like right over me. And now I'm up there stuck with, uh, yeah, stuck without a ski and I have to get back to, we're staying at crag camp over by King ravine. And I don't know, I just wish like I had a mentor, like you're talking about to be like, don't do that. (laughs) Or or like, you know, you're in the back country and my brother did this quite a bit where he would just be like, tone it down We're we're not, you can't just, we're not at a resort. You're not just going to get help instantly. It's going to take a while to get someone out here and you watch all these videos growing up of people just charging in the backcountry, and right. you just think, well, I want a little taste of that and I want to open it up or ski a little faster, jump this. And I think like there's, yeah, you, that's fun, but there's also consequences and risk involved and who are you putting at risk in the consequence and ultimately like think about the big picture. We're out there to have fun and to come home safely. And sometimes you miss those steps when you, when you get caught up in the yeah, moment. Yeah, you get caught in the moment. That's, that's exactly where I was thinking of what you're saying and that's yeah that's important I mean the steps you know getting into this you know for me it was like my starting out was like you know I'd mentioned by a tour out in the Wasatch so I'd, I'd seen like what the real deal was and um you know coming back east and, and hitting the the early spots like 
you know, the cardigans and the double heads and, uh, you know, Sherby and kind of exploring some of the classic CCC trails was a good start. And I think that's a good start for anyone, um, particularly those uncertain as to, you know, how you step into it. Then I think a next, next level will be to get into, you know, some glade skiing and, as you graduate from that and feel comfortable, you know, thinking three turns ahead, you really do that in high alpine as well. You know, you're really feeling your terrain and looking ahead, um, almost like you're, you know, running back in the football where you're, you know, looking downfield and, and looking for the space um, and, you know, trying to thread the needle. Um, you know, for me, it was, yeah, yeah I mean, all, all of my, the best lines early on, like I skied solo, like Duchess, Dodges, Double barrel, ammo, I mean, Bert. Like, I was doing all those by myself. I tore, I tore a lot myself. I just I had a hard time finding people to, to ski with. And um, and then I hooked up with a few folks on um, Time for Tuckerman. And then, you know, then I started going deeper. You know, the Northern Prezies, the Jeffersons, the King Ravines. And, like, wow, it's like, this is, what a world. What a world up here, you know? It's like, who would you even knew this? You know, it's like unbelievable. You just tap into this portal and uh, boom, you, you, there you are. And um, yeah, so for sure, like, you know, skiing solo now is really not necessarily, um, you know, encouraged. Um, it happens from time to time. Everyone's got their own, you know, level of risk and tolerance and so forth. And a lot of it's condition dependent, but, you know, I remember the, the double barrel line I skied for the first time I just you know this is probably before I took an Abbey class and it was midday you know you're in Oaks so it's getting all it's heating up and I mean I'll never forget it I had like skied an, um, it was an unbelievable run I think I think I probably got a little lucky it was a little heavy um things could have gone a little differently what time and of year were you was this spring or is this, this midwinter is, no this is spring um this is spring and i remember and the cool thing about you know time for talk around a little well, i guess a little bit maybe like this happens now um when people are feeling civil but you know time for talking there was you know a lot of people would you know i'd post something up and i'd you know get questioned on the snowpack and you kind of had to be ready to answer you know and to not necessarily defend your decision making but you know uh, show that you know what you're doing. And, um, you know, that was kind of a learning experience for me because I was like, wow, I think I may have gone a little beyond what I should have done, but you know, that's part of it. Now, now there's that, um, reevaluation, you know, when you're standing on top of the line and, and now, you know, I did, now I don't really have, I don't, I still ski solo, just not necessarily high consequence lines. Um, cause I just have more skier friends and more people are into it. So it's a little easier to go with, I mean, it's, it's always fun to go with people. It's just sometimes you just don't have that option. Um, but yeah, so there's like an, you know, there's an evolution for sure of knowledge and, you know, you don't, you don't start day one, you know, dropping into dodges and, you know, hoping it's going to go okay. You know, it's, um, you know, you, you, you gain mileage with um, experience and, and just putting yourself out there and, and, and um, seeing as much as you can is, is, is the best, is the best. Um, I think that's, I mean, it's a great message to people is that, that the skiing's going to be there tomorrow. It'll be there the next day. Don't push it. And that you should have this healthy. And that's hard. It's funny because that's hard to learn. Like that's, you know, I, everyone says that, you know, it's, uh, it's, I think it, it takes an experienced, a veteran to really come to that, to be able to turn back. I think that when you're younger, because I went through this, you're just so hungry and like, you, you almost don't care. You, you, you're like, I'm going to take the risk anyway. You have a way higher risk tolerance. And, um, you know, now I've got a wife, two kids. It's, and I'm not saying my, when I'm standing on top of the line, I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen to my wife, two kids. I'm not necessarily thinking in that regard. I'm just making smarter decisions. You know, I'm just, you know, what, what's the right call here? And it's okay to turn around. Whereas when I was younger, I'm not so sure in certain circumstances whether I'd be turning around. So part of that's just an experience thing, and um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, you have to have that, you have to acquire that mountain sense and wherewithal, which just happens over time. Yeah, you need you need the knowledge, but you need the real the real application of that knowledge to see it through and make those connections. It's like taking an Abbey course, you know. You could take a million heavy courses, but until you're getting into the terrain and like feeling what the snow feels like, what the compaction is, and you know, just getting a sense for it, maybe being in there day in, day out, you really start to understand what the snowpack's doing. Um, 
but if you just stay in a, inside of a book, you know, you're not going to get that. Exactly. Um, and so like when you, yeah, so you're in the, in your twenties, you're a little more, you know, your risk level is a little higher. And then I think like everyone, we, <laughs> we feel more fragile or more human as we get older, whether it's an injury, illness, we have these experiences, other people's, we learn from other people's experiences and we sort of dial it back. And yeah, that's definitely one thing to a message to get across to those up and coming, up and coming chargers, because we're seeing it and it's great. Like I want to see the talent and I want to see people ski stuff in a way that can be skied that, you know, I think our terrain is world-class and I, they say that all the time, but to see it skied in a world-class fashion is pretty cool. And that's something I want to see, but it's also like, for me, like, the ice fall and all these things in Tuck and Ravine where I'm like, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. Like I like being healthy. I like, like right. doing these other things. I like being able to run. I like my knees in, in one piece and, and yeah, I don't know. It's this interesting part of getting older is, is trying to walk that line because yeah, I don't even have kids and that's something that, um, I don't always think about, but now, um, as I, you know, I'm 38, I think 38 or 39 here that I, I do take, take, um, a step back a little bit and I'm like, okay. Cause I did have gotten a taste of the, like the white mountains, the danger and the excitement and the good snow and the bad snow. And I like look back at some of my videos and I'm like, oh yeah, I probably should have dialed it back here. I was a little loose here. And that's hard. It's hard, hard to get that message across. And I think that's something that I hope to work on in the future, but appreciate you. Um, commenting on that yeah it's, and it's an interesting thing too because you know a lot of people most people come from the alpine environment where you know it's resort based and it's, it is hard charging and to the point where i'm i now where i'm you know i'm getting back to the lift serve a little bit just through my kids um but part of me is like matt like the last few years i'm like geez i i when you really count up the runs and that i'm skiing it's like i'm really not skiing that is, you know, not, not that much, you know, going to tour, maybe three runs and that's a pretty good day. And with my time allocation. So it was like one of the, my things this year is like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to ski a little bit more like lift serve just to, you know, get that, get that edge back. I, I, it's interesting because, um, uh, how that works. And it's sort of the re a reversal of what we we're just talking about in a way. But for me, it's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm, you know, muscles are ready staying on top of it, you know, and part of that is, you know, your, um, your preseason, you know, dry land routines and things like that. But, um, yeah, I've just, i it's interesting. I just haven't, I felt like I haven't really, I, I don't ski as much as I used to. And so this year I'm, that's one of my objectives is to be out with my kids a little bit more, um, now that they're ready to rip around and, um, you know, just get, yeah, get that, kind of those turns back in and, and uh, I think it's establishes a nice base. And um, I want to take a step back because like, yeah, you, we, you got all these backcountry experiences in the white mountains and, and you know, what part, like what was glade skiing like? Cause I want to jump into granite backcountry, but what was, what were your glade experiences like when you're talking like 2010 through 2015 Good on those question. days when it's crap conditions above tree line, whether it's hurricane force winds or, Abbey conditions are high. I mean, there's been plenty of days where I would go into the bowl, you know, because that was, there really weren't that many options. Um, you know, some, some, some runs like, you know, before there's really, the glades were prolific or before GBA, you know, there's really not that many options. And you would just go up in the bowl to poke around and just because, you know, you just, hey, let's go check it out. Let's see what it's like. Um, so that was, you know, that was a lot of the skiing, you know, cause you just, you have, you have this like hunger to like get into the higher, steeper things. Um, and there just really wasn't a whole lot of opportunity outside of that. And that was one of the reasons why Granite Backcountry Alliance for me, um, was something that made sense. It, you know, it, I, I love glade skiing, you know, well, to answer your question, you know, I was skiing a lot. At the same time, doing some, you know, over in Bethel, Sunday River area, and just getting, you know, near the end of my lift serve reign was a lot of um, 
just finding all those secret little shots and stuff. I knew that mountain like after aftershock. Oh, I, just, I knew everything. You know, I just I was it I Ruby was, Ruby Palace. I was over in Oz. Yeah. Those were fun. Those are all those the Dorothy's crotch. You know, uh, there's all kinds of stuff and good names to it. I went just, to high school there, and I don't think I. I mean, I was too busy alpine racing, but. And this, and I stopped skiing there probably six years ago, and I probably wouldn't even know the mountain. I mean, I'd know my own little haunts, but I'm sure there's, you know, multiples more of what what's out there. But so that was that was like a lot of my tree skiing, you know. As I would, I were would, you going to Vermont at all, driving up from the island, or are you just all, always I mean, coming up this way? I would do um, in the mid 2000s. I did a lot of Vermont skiing when American Ski Company was around. They, you know, had these. When I was in law school, they had um, an awesome pass. It was like. You know all the all the ASC companies for like three hundred bucks or something. It was ridiculous. So I did a lot of like Killington, Pico, Mount Snow kind of stuff, and, and that's really what got me into like Adatash and and into the Whites. Because um, growing up, as I mentioned, I grew up at Pleasant Mountain, and that's where we skied, and we had no reason to really go anywhere else. Um, but Sunday River was like kind of my home mountain for most once most of those years um, coming back and. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of just ripping through the woods and just finding stuff and adventuring within the confines of the resort. So that was me like saying, I can't ski this run another time. I'm gonna go bananas. I gotta get inside and, you know, see where the other see where the fun is here at this mountain and, and man, when you start looking and finding stuff and then you start talking to more locals and they show you places, you follow tracks, it really opened up a whole new world. And that really that was the big seg segue into just finding more adventure, like what's new? Where can I get my thrills, you know? Um, well, if I go back to when we skied, I remember skiing Hale Glades with you. And I think that was probably my first time. Yeah, it was my first time out there. I'd, I'd never made a point. I'd read about it in Goodman's book and heard about it. And I went back there with you guys and I was like, this is it. This is what you guys are all excited about four miles in to this. And it was like, and I say that, I say that um, meaning that, there's so much potential. Like yeah. you're looking at this huge, this huge hardwood stand that you could easily get some hands in, back in there, clean it out, and open up a ton of terrain. But instead, we're skiing like a, I don't know, 200 into 300 foot shots of schwacky, yeah, like you know, six turns was nothing, nothing special. Yeah. I mean, I the, I think the special part was being out there with you guys and and the tour in, and it's fun to ski out. Like it's fun to get into these remote areas, but for the actual ski component of it, all, my, the whole time I was out there, I was like, what if we clean this out? Or what if yeah. we extended that? And so I just want to go into like, what is Granite Backcountry and how did that all come about? So it was, it was interesting because I, I really first came upon the whole concept when I was still living in uh, Southern New England in the, um, Rhode Island, Boston area, and um, yeah, and that's when really Rasta came out. This is like, this is like fairly recent. I mean, this is like 2013 maybe, and again, I'm still coming up every single weekend and really just charging in the whites. But yeah, you you just you know the thing about backcountry skiing you learn early is that not every day is your best day, and you have to come to terms with that. Um, and so it's like, well, when they're when the weather's terrible up on George, which it is con what commonly is, you know, there's, there's really nothing else. And, but I was being back in Rhode Island. I, I knew that that was, <laughs> what could I do from there? Um, not much. So in 2014 is when I made the change. I, we had our first child and, uh, my ski days kind of went down. So I'm like, this is not going to work for us. So we've, I got to move home, you know, and move we did. And then within a year, we pretty much started GBA and it was, it was really to like, put this concept into place, especially seeing it happen over in Vermont, knowing that like, this is, this is what, this is what this area needs. You know, this is what my skiing needs. I mean, I always tell people it was a very selfish thing, you know, cause it's like, I, I live in this town with all these mountains, 360 degrees around me and you can't ski on any of them basically. And that's frustrating. And so, um, you know, it took a little work, but getting, um, you know, getting GBA together with a pretty strong vision um, of how we should be skiing in modern day, you know, without without the lift serve um, and fast forward to today. And that's, you know, 
it's exactly kind of where the vision was, was working with the landowners. And this is, and if this is for me, you know, it was a opportunity to, you know, really showcase my skill set because I felt like, I felt like, you know, not to be corny, but you know, this is sort of my calling. Um, you know, I have this law degree, I have this business degree. Um, it really allows me a chance to take those uh, skills and apply them in a meaningful way. And that was with working with partners, land managers, um, you know, vendors, sponsors, all, everything that we do, um, managing people and so forth. And it's, it's, all, it's, all, it's all happened and not, not everyone, you know, has that ability to do that. And so I felt pretty fortunate that I'd put myself in a position where, hey, I can actually, um, I can actually realize this vision and, and keep pushing forward. And, and, and that's really, and that's really how, you know, how it came about for me, because I just want to ski more areas and I want other people to enjoy what I'm enjoying, because I think, I think that I'm just one of many that feels this way. And so just not everyone is able to speak up or do something because for whatever reason. So um, that was really my motivation behind it all. And it continues to be my motivation, particularly now as we go for Grant Backcountry, you know, as um, the listeners are probably aware, you know, we, 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 we localize our efforts in different communities. And the benefit to me is, is it's just awesome. It's very rewarding to see like these communities uh, embrace, you know, what we are offering to them because it's not it's not really us coming in and doing stuff it's us collaborating to create something for them because when we leave and we go to the next community they've got something special that can get them outside and 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 you know builds builds the bonds the communities uh better and stronger and um and that's a cool thing and then and and to mix in the locals as well as those from away so then you all of a sudden you have the economic aspect of it where you know, hey, people are coming up, people are coming from a long way. And we need to encourage that and also encourage people to stick around. You know, this is a pretty cool place. You know, you can't just, you know, your people are pretty much priced out of most ski areas. A ski, ski bum is, you know, really no longer a thing like out west. You can't live within an hour of like, you know, a Jackson or a Telluride or whatever, name a ski town. And it pretty much falls into the same thing. It's just you're priced out. Um, but here we still have, we have all these opportunities and, um, and especially, you know, w one of the things that was keen for me that I brought to the table that not everyone had was I, you know, I did live in Southern New England for a while and I, and I did come up, I was come up every single week as I was that guy. I was that person that would travel like a crazy maniac and storm chase and, that was my mentality. I'd sit at my desk on like a Tuesday morning. There was a, a big storm or something, and I couldn't. I couldn't get out. It would drive me like bananas, you know, to the point where I'm like, I, I just have to. I have to move. I just. I can't. I can't handle this, you know. It's. It's. So I have that. So. I, so as I've been managing GBA and leading that charge, I've. I've. I hold that mindset of a lot of the users. A lot of our users. A lot of the skiers are you know, from that area, uh, from mass and, and so forth. And, you know, people share that, that same thought. So, um, so that was kind of a unique perspective that I knew that this, you know, GBA would, would be a, um, would be a success because, you know, you put some enthusiasm behind it and everyone wants this. Um, and now we just got to go get it. And so that's what we did. That's <clears throat> totally true. And it's funny that, you know, your mission statement, like when you contacted me and whoever else, and you're like, this is my vision. It's pretty wild that it just, it's like, you, you talked exactly about the zones, your first pilot zones, whether that was, you know, Maple Villa, Bald Face, but how it was going to work, what, what Granite Backcountry was ultimately going to be. This nonprofit building out glades in New Hampshire and Western Maine. And we've seen that through, but you know, you started off by saying that you did this selfishly and out of it, you found like, the sense of community, which was lacking before when you're talking about time for Tuckerman was your community, but that sort of fizzled out. And now we have this completely different community that's huge and it's huge. all, all because of granite backcountry and, and it's, yeah, you're right. Like you are the weekend warrior at heart. You're that guy that's driving up or just 
focused on the storms coming in, where you're going to ski, who you're going to ski with. And it's pretty neat because that's like our, that's like a lot of the listeners are coming from far away and, and their weekends, that's their time to get out. And it's like, where where are you going to go? And now you've opened up this resource, these like public lands, private lands, whatever, to how many zones now is going to back in eight zones, eight zones where three years where we can get out and know that it's maintained, you know, depending on what the, what the snow is doing, what the weather's doing, but to see that last year and watch, watch people spread out, you know, the Sherby got used to get hammered. It still does because it's always going to have snow being higher up in the notch, but watching that spread out to bald face, watching it spread out to Maple Villa, to Randolph, Pine Mountain, whatever. We have Lancaster and yeah, right. We got a couple, we got Cooley Jericho and, um, Rumford Whitecap and yeah. hypnosis. So is that all? Did I, did I just nail yeah. all of them? Yeah, 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 I think you named probably all of them. And um, you know, the first project we had was Randolph Crescent Ridge, and you know, right when we formed GBA, I knew like right away, like the first thing I needed, I needed like a signature project right away. Uh, that was like of utmost importance to get that out there because I knew that you know, just in my line of work with being an attorney and doing a lot of transactional business type work, things take time. And so for me, for us to get a project going for the following summer, we had to hustle. And so I was, you know, all over online looking for this, looking for that, just didn't, didn't even really know where to start and stumbled into this guy named Doug Mayer, who um, had this group up in, uh, he's a trail runner at heart, but he, um, he's got a cool story himself, but long story short, he, uh, I just stumbled upon his name online. He created this this um, organization called the Randolph Society for the Advancement of Backcountry Skiing. And if that's not correct, that's it's close to that. such a Doug thing right yeah, there. Yeah, it's, just, it's like a silly name. I'm like, what is this? And, um, you know, so I discovered some stuff that um, online. And so I emailed them and just re- out of the blue and as a result of that, next you know, you know, fast forward a few months, I'm in front of the uh, Randolph Community Forest uh, uh, commissioners, and we're pitching a project. And nine months later, we're out w- at our first Glade event, and we have like 80 people that come out, and it was like, oh my god, how do we? And then I didn't even something I never even realized, like how do we manage 80 people? This was at the Randolph. This is at Randolph, yeah. Um, and actually, you know, we had two events before that at the Sherby and Doublehead, but Randolph was our first, you know, our first glade. And the, the, the thing about the Randolph project, which I'll always remember is that it proved to me when that first season right away, it was, it just got hammered with traffic and it was just cause it was the first new thing. Right. And, and I was like, wow, the, I bet you most of these people, um, have never gone north of the notch, right? I mean, just honestly, like people that are from Boston were never like, why are they going, why would they go? Why are they driving that the extra distance? Why would they go an extra 45 minutes? And, but again, going back to that mindset of being from, you know, down south, you sit at your desk all week and you like white knuckle it when you see a picture uh, come up online of like someone skiing pal, you're like, oh, why isn't that me? So you, you don't care. You're gonna go wherever you, wherever it takes, whatever it takes, you're gonna go there. Um, and so people driving to Randolph and we're flooding that parking lot. I'm like, wow, this is real. This is, this is like, this is happening. And it's, it's, we need, we need more glades. We need to keep diffusing the traffic and spreading it out. And so that's really, so now we, we you know, we kind of, our strategic angle was to focus in on, um, you know, the white, the, the Mount Washington Valley region is sort of like our incubator zone. And that's, and we've done that with the Maple Villa. Um, we did some work at Doublehead as well as black um and it, you know proved to be very successful we got bald face hypnosis so this area is you know turned out to be a pretty fun little zone um and then north of the notch with the bill hill and and crescent ridge glade so it's like we've got it pretty dialed so now you know the initiatives are all right let's get into maine we did that this year this fall let's get west into the western whites uh, we've got what i consider two projects over there the um, consider Lancaster, Western Whites. It's still over in that western side of New Hampshire. And then our Cooley Jericho project. And I think what users are going to see in the next one to two years is a slew of projects that we have uh, lined up um, over in that area. 
and it's pretty exciting uh, to really spread it around. We have a really good opportunity to, um, you know, open up some areas that um, are really excitable terrain, um, very accessible. Some areas, you know, one of the things that we're tackling is, is, is to be honest, is, and this is something I, I love to be transparent about because it's, it's true, it's, you know, there's a lot of rogue delayed cutting that goes on. And, um, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, we don't condone and that, you know, we're trying to discourage because you don't have to do that anymore. You could do that through the public process. For many years when land managers wouldn't talk to backcountry skiers, okay that maybe provides a basis point, not saying it's right or not, but, but now, you know, we, we've, we've dialed in, we figured out what the cure is to, to make that work. And it's, and it's really having a unified voice. It's having an organization that is, is organized and, um, disciplined and understands, you know, how, what it takes to go from point A to point B. So now as we move over into some of these other areas, you know, tackling these illegals, cut, illegally cut zones, essentially what you're going to see is we, we are we're going to managing an unmanaged zone so that um, it does have a purposeful um, mission in terms of like, you know, forestry and habitat and, and, and wildlife and so forth. Um, but we're designing, you know, we're managing the use and doing that in collaboration with the Forest Service. And that's really important because when it's unmanaged, when people just go out there and rogue cut, you know, they're changing the character of the forest. And that's something people don't really think about. They think it's like this cool bro, you know, type moment. Hey, let's, let's go ski in our line and cut some more. And it's, you know, you've seen the negative repercussions that things like it over Big J back in 2007, these, you know, two guys cut just an insane amount of trees um, and, just unnecessary, unnecessary. Um, and, it, and it wasn't done in a, you know, above board way. So everything we've done is trying to be above board, working with land managers. And now we've proven that not only is it um, good for recreation, but it's good for the economy, the local economies. And that's an important part of what we're doing because it's, you know, what I like to tell people is we're not, we're not just a ski organization, you know? In fact, we're not, you know, in many ways, we're not a ski organization at all. We're you know, we're a forestry, a forest manager in many ways. Um, we do most of our work in the fall. We just get the rewards of it in the winter. Um, so, you know, that, those are some of our initiatives coming up is really tackling, you know, some new zones and, and just managing them. Um, just like Rumford Whitecap is not to say that that was an illegally cut zone, but it's been skied for many years. And now it's all right. How do we design that and make it better um, and uh, make sense of it all? Yeah, and we could put a whole episode just on Granite Backcountry and where it's where it's been and where it's going. And I think like number one takeaway is like if you like to ski and you like backcountry, or whether you're an expert skier or beginner, like Granite Backcountry is the organization to be part of, and it wouldn't be where it's at without someone to navigate it and to to push these projects through because there's a lot of a lot of behind the scenes work that it takes to to make it happen and tyler's tyler's the voice and uh so big thanks and if you want to be part of it how do you become part of granite backcountry alliance and what granite. does it take yeah grantbc.org you know we encourage folks to um check us out online we'll have all of our glades uh, we have our glades on our website um we'll, we're doing some upgrades right now we have a map that's in process for anyone that signed up as a member um, we're just we're holding membership packets right now because we're finalizing a map and a booklet that's going to have like it's going to be sort of a cross between a coffee table booklet and something you can throw in your pack if you need it on a tour, um, but something you definitely want to look at over a coffee or a beer, and um, so um, so we'll be distributing those shortly. Uh, but you know, the thing I love to tell people is that in the fall when we have our glade days when people come out, I mean it really what it really does. Besides this, the social element and being fun, doing it with your friends, it really creates an engagement with the land. And that's an important part of um, users understanding, you know, what, how, how to respect the land. And, um, you know, you, ha you have people that come from a way that may not understand that and they, they treat it differently. Um, maybe there's trash left or, or, or what have you. And, you know, I think that in today's day where... Uh, people are kind of getting away from 
some of that organized activity and being outside and understanding, you know, how to respect the outdoors. It's, it's important to get out and put your time in. And if you're a backcountry skier, you know, you really need to think about we're living the East Coast. You know, there's not a whole lot of natural terrain. We have to cut to ski and, um, you know, think about what's your percentage of time that you kick back. You know, if you ski 20 days in the backcountry, maybe you ought to think about contributing one day um, of glade work. Uh, maintenance, new zones, whatever. And, you know, that's a new way to think about things. And I think it's important to think that way because it's it's not about you, it's about the whole and the, the collective community. Um, you know, what you can go out and do by yourself, you know, it doesn't even compare to what we can do as a group. And, you know, we've had days with over 100 people glading and, boy, let me tell you, we're pretty productive. And, um, you know, the things that the areas that we the areas that we are building or developing is are pretty cool, um, and we they they vary from you know entry level family kid type zones to really expert level exposed avalanche prone skiing. So we have the whole shebang in our in our zones and. We have every, pretty much every level of landowner there is from federal, state, municipal, private, land trust. You know, we've worked with just about everyone. So it's exciting. It's, just, it's an exciting time we live in, you know, where we're allowed to, we, we, we've, we've created these relationships. It's not just backcountry skiing, you know, it's the mountain biking, trail running. It's these, these, these little communities that are popping up. People are creating their own destiny, you know, and working with landowners. And, and generally nowadays, the reason landowners are receptive to this, where they, whereas they weren't in the past is, a lot of them are our peers, you know, and they feel the same way we do. And it's cool. We live in a cool time. Um, and I think people, I hope people recognize that because um, it hasn't always been this way. Well, you never know until you try to like get that permit through or try to make an organization or try to get a movement off the ground. It starts, starts somewhere and you were that, and you were that catalyst. So I encourage anyone that's not a member of Granite Backcountry Alliance sign up. It's $35 for the year you get a cool little swag bag package plus um it's a great way to give back to the nonprofit. And i mean this this is like something where um it costs money to run a nonprofit, and then it costs even you know we talked about this off off uh podcast but how you know if you acquire land, you know, you get all this money, like, where does it go? Well, you can always buy land. You need a parking lot. You need to pay for plowing kiosks. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just that. like an endless, there's an endless, um, pathway for money to contribute. And so say like just running an organization, like $35 per member, like can help keep some stuff afloat, but there's other stuff that like, yeah, creating a whole parking lot. How much did that cost? Yeah, so like, yeah, that's a good example. Mapleville is like hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars, not play money. This is not not monopoly money. And it's you know, and I, I make the joke a lot as well that you know I started this selfishly. We talked about to ski more and have more areas to ski, but here I am building parking lots and plowing lots and port, putting up porta potties and getting culverts in and putting in culverts right. And it's uh, but you know what that's that's what it takes and to work with a land manager those are the things you got to do you have to be um, you have to steward the property property in a way that reflects not only the wishes of the landowner but is done in a respectable um, and low impact way so i think we've been pretty successful at that and you know we've partnered up with a lot of groups too not just our local groups um in in certain towns but also nationally you know leave no trace we're a partner uh, winter wildlands alliance we're a partner we've done events with protect our winters um, you know, we've, we're a 1% for the planet, uh, nonprofit entity. We're also with like main outdoor brands, you know, we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in the right company and, um, you know, and, and that reflects upon the organization in a positive way. And, um, so I'm, I'm proud, you know, about the growth that we've obtained and, um, and I'm looking forward to, you know, what's happening next. Cool. Well, I, we could, we could wrap all day on this. I have no doubt in my mind we could go hours into what you've done, what, what Granite Backcountry is, where it's going. So I guess leave it with, leave me with a couple plugs for yourself, for Granite Backcountry, what's coming up. What is December? Well, this is coming out tomorrow. Well, it's coming out Friday. What is the rest of December and January so on look like? So, you know, what's happening right now is we're in the trenches, um, uh, 
upgrading websites, doing maps, creating a booklet, as I mentioned. And, um, you know, as Andrew said, mentioned, like, before we got on here, it's, there's always something, you know, cooking. And um, so that's happening is we're really trying to calibrate our growth with, you know, uh, doing it the right way, proper, si proper signage, um, um, you know, educating and providing awareness on what's out there. You know, they are probably well, I have two really two two really exciting new zones are the Cooley Jericho and the Rumford Whitecap Black and White Glades. And um, Cooley Jericho is over in Franconia area of New Hampshire, and that's that was a that that that's a really cool project that I think um, will get to get a lot of play this year. It's going to probably be our new hot ticket, um, especially in that area because there's not a whole lot of um, any there's nothing really like it um, around specifically that's sanctioned and over in Maine the run for Whitecap it's a point-to-point -point, um, two mountain eight mile traverse it's sort of a there's not really much like that in New England um, from that perspective it's more uh, probably more of a European type model but that's a, that's a really exciting project there's you know there's we've developed three aspects and um, including Black Mountain of Maine, you have a fourth aspect. So there's, you know, you could go on a full on a full day tour, you know, five six thousand vert easy, um, just doing a little loop. Um, if you do all the glades that we've cut, you know, in one in one day, I mean, geez, you could probably put down eight to ten k pretty easily. Um, potentially, might see a schema race out of that soon. We're gonna do some. Uh, exhibition type stuff this winter to check out just to see if we could put something formally in place maybe even have like a little series with the MW Auto maybe a run for Whitecap Schemo the Angry Dog we'd probably want to call it sounds like you've already got <laughs> some ideas going and potentially something over at Crescent Ridge it would be a fun little fun little series to do we'll, well see if I, that happens I think but. like yeah people need to zone bagging is probably going to become a thing you got peak baggers now you got zone bagging yeah and that's we had one group that tried to do five glade zones last year in a day and they were unsuccessful but um uh, it was pretty cool to see them try and trying to track them online yeah well we should come up with something um for the people that could do that uh maybe put a maybe put a prize out there for people that do that in a season um maybe throw people a cool cool hoodie or something now in a week not a season a weekend or a weekend hey guy like it's that like they have they have some of these things like the saranac lake ultra six or something where you go and you you drive around to all these different peaks and you got to do them in the, like 24 hours well there we go all right we'll take this oh, offline yeah, right. <laughs> i gotta end this i got stuff to go to but uh tyler it's been a pleasure looking forward to catching up with you let's see i don't know i guess at the auto road what one day is that january 25th so we're, we're probably not quite 50 percent sold out but we're we're right there um so i encourage folks that you know want to do racing or social skinning you know just hanging out that's a really cool event especially um to get on the access uh, the auto road which you can't do you can't access otherwise um yeah looking forward to get some skiing in with you yeah perfect place to end this go hang up on this and go find uh go online granitebc.org get your tickets for the auto road which is um, also a fundraiser for Granite Backcountry. We'll do a little fundraising contest too, but more on that later. Thanks again, Tyler. We'll ski soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew.